Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. The title of the message is When in Doubt. I hope you have an outline so you can follow, follow along with me, When in Doubt. And my text is John chapter 20. And I'll be reading from verses 24 through 29. My sources include R.C. Sproul's commentary, the St. Andrew's expositional commentary on John, Stephen J. Cole, his studies in in John chapter 20, Uh, Glenn Durham, a message, How Do You Respond to the Jesus of the Book? And then a a message by Craig Groeschel, Doubters Anonymous. John chapter 20 is the scene right after the resurrection of Christ, and uh, we'll be reading at verse 24 through verses 29. This is the Word of God. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for being alive today. Thank you for Resurrection Sunday. And on this Easter Sunday, honor us, Lord, wherever we are with your presence, the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, and teach us what it is to be people of faith. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, earlier this year, I decided to to read a novel. I met a man that did some work at our church and uh, found out that on the side, he's a best-selling author, so uh, that curiosity got me, and I I ordered the book Unto the Last Seed by Craig Leonard Sr. I recommend it for you. He's a man who lives right here in Meridian. Uh, He even gives a shout-out in the book to Meridian, Mississippi. He's from Louisiana, and if you are, then you want to read this one. It was a great read, especially if you like crime drama. Quite different from the material that I usually am interacting with. At any rate, I finished the book. I read the epilogue, which, by the way, was a huge letdown because I thought I had read the end of the story. And as it turns out, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a sequel coming. So, Craig, what about it? Which leads me to say... Our text for this morning, John chapter 20, is really the last chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, if you have your Bible and you're looking at your Bible, you're probably thinking that I can't read because there's obviously a chapter 21. There are 21 chapters in John. Well, what I mean is John chapter 20 of our text is the conclusion to the Gospel of John. Chapter 21 is the epilogue. And so I want to read to you the concluding verses that I did not read in my text from John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Kate Cohen is a writer for the Washington Post. She's written an article entitled with this headline, Even Those of Us Who Don't Believe Need What Religion Can Provide Right Now. Cohen has a Jewish background but she's not religious. In fact, she does not believe in God. So she's, she's Jewish, but she's not a practicing Jew. But she actually, through this pandemic, says that she and her family have started participating in Shabbat through a Zoom opportunity so that they can actually see each other and, and enjoy a Sabbath meal together. So for Cohen, Judaism functions not as a truth claim, but a source of comfort during a perilous time. She writes this in her article, As an atheist, I believe we can get all we need without God. So what comfort does religion bring if it is not based on truth? I want you to think about that for a moment. What comfort can religion bring to you if it is not based in truth? Al Mohler is the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and he writes this. He says, For Christians, we do not hold loosely to a myth nor a collection of stories. What you find in the Bible is the opposite of a functionalist religion. The Bible presents the one true living God making objective truth claims with eternal significance. And so today on this Easter Sunday, we're, we're talking about something very, very significant, something that has eternal ramifications for each of us. Blaise Pascal was a brilliant 17th century French scientist and philosopher. He was also a Christian. His research in theories in mathematics and physics, economics and social science significantly influenced these modern disciplines today. And so Pascal's wager is one of the most famous arguments of philosophy, an argument for the existence of God. It's called the wager. Stretch your minds with me to hear what Pascal said several hundred years ago. God exists or doesn't exist. Everyone must decide. If you believe in God and that he exists, you go to heaven. Infinite benefit. If you don't believe in God and that he exists, you don't go to heaven. Infinite loss. If you believe in God and he doesn't exist, you gain nothing and you lose nothing. In other words, those who believe in God, and this is your blanks if you're following in the outline, those who believe in God have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Those who don't believe in God, have every, they have everything to lose and nothing to gain. Pascal said that the smart and the wise person will choose to believe in God. And really the same goes for Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We all must decide if we believe it's true or not true. If we choose not to believe and Jesus really did rise from the dead, we have everything to lose. If we choose to believe in the truth of the resurrection, we have everything to gain. God, Jesus, eternal life, a resurrected body, and more. 
An 18-year-old atheist at the tender age of 11 questioned his Sunday school teacher about the reality of the Old Testament miracles. The teacher felt pretty threatened by this 11-year-old, and so she told the young boy that the miracles were to be accepted, not questioned. As boys will do, he pressed his teacher for an answer, and exasperated, she finally said, Listen, either be quiet and believe them or leave. He said, So I left. And that was the beginning of his atheism, faith without brains. Doubting and thinking, in my mind, go hand in hand, and people never need need to be afraid of thinking. Some of you during this pandemic have your doubts, and yet that's okay. It's okay. Josh McDowell had his doubts when he was growing up. He was very smart. He's decided to disprove Christianity, and his research led him to put his faith in Jesus Christ. And I love what he says about this. He says, your heart can never rejoice in what your mind rejects. At its most basic point, doubt has a tremendous amount to do with truth and trustworthiness. The question is, is God truthful? Is God trustworthy enough for me to be able to trust in him? Is the Easter story true? And if so, can I trust Jesus enough to rely on him without fail? And some of you doubt that, and that's okay. So in the time remaining this morning, I hope to clear up a major misconception about doubt, especially its relationship to Easter. And so I have two lessons today, only two. And the first is this, life can cause us to question. You know, that commercial, I remember that commercial lately, life comes at you fast. I remember March the 12th very well. I think many of you do as well. That's when most of us became aware that there was a problem in our country and our world, that what was happening in other parts of the world was was now coming to us. I think about the people that are those first responders that we prayed for earlier. You know, I think about firemen and how they were the first responders at 9-11, how they were running into the building when everyone was running out. Courage, I, I read, is this. Courage is running into a burning building when everyone else is running out. And yes, right now we have so many heroes, so many courageous people that are standing in the gap for the rest of us in the midst of this pandemic. But I want you to also think today about those, those people that have been memorialized those people that have been remembered in our bulletin. If you'll scroll down in your phone or your iPad or whatever your, your, um, whatever your gadget is, you can see all of the names of the people that have been honored today. You can see all the people that are being remembered today. These last few years at First Presbyterian have been painful. We've lost some very dear, dear people. And it's heartbreaking. It's still heartbreaking. To question is to doubt. Doubt is the normal response to grief. And some of you in your grief, you've been doubting. And that's okay. It's understandable. We're all born questioners. Look into the eyes of a child and the the wonderment in those eyes. I have a 20-month-old grandson, and it's just wonderful to look into his eyes and see the questions before he can actually communicate all the things he's thinking about. What's that word that a child will one day say when they can talk? Why? 
Why? Every child is full of every kind of question about every kind of thing in his little bitty world. And so, why do we get so nervous about our doubts? Henry Drummond puts it this way when he says, Doubt is the prelude of knowledge. Doubt is the prelude of knowledge. And so if you're doubting, I pray that you're searching. I pray that you're, you're thinking through this. You're, you're looking for answers. And so in the midst of this pandemic, some of you might want to ask, why are we going through this? And I have an answer for you. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know some really good news for you today. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of all that we're going through as a country, as a community, I, I have some wonderful answers for you right here in our text. And the context of our text for this morning is it's still Resurrection Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus has already made his first appearance to the disciples, but, but Thomas, Thomas wasn't there. When Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, Thomas didn't even bother to show up. Like most of the disciples, he, he sank into a deep depression. Sadly, Thomas' name has become synonymous with anyone who refuses to believe. We call him what? Doubting Thomas. But in spite of all the bad press that Thomas has received, we really shouldn't be too hard on Thomas. For example, after Jesus' friend Lazarus had died, Jesus tells his disciples that they must go and be with him. And Thomas mistakenly thinks that this will be the end. And so he says in John 11, verse 16, let us also go that we may die with him. So don't think that Thomas was somehow lacking in courage. He had a lot of courage. Truth is, he was just a melancholy personality to which I can certainly relate. One commentator said that Thomas, quote, finds the best things too good to be true and usually imagines that the worst foreseen possibility will be realized. Yeah, I'm sure some of you melancholies out there can relate to Thomas as well. Thomas, he wasn't a bad guy. He was just a glass, half-empty kind of guy, which helps us to understand why after Jesus rose from the dead and after all the disciples had gathered together and they saw the Lord, it can help you to understand why Thomas was AWOL. Verse 24 says, Now Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And I want you to reflect on that for just a moment. Thomas's world was spinning, just like for many of you right now, your world is spinning. I mean, we, we're in the midst of one of the worst crises in the history that I remember, and I'm sure in other lifetimes there have been worse crises, but this is, a, this is a huge one in the sense that we have shut down pretty much the entire country. And so not only are people's health at jeopardy, people's uh, finances are at jeopardy, and so everything's kind of up for grabs right now. People have lots of questions. Lots of your thoughts have you spinning. Thomas didn't really know what to do. You know, when God doesn't work in the way that you had thought he should, then that leads to questions. If God doesn't answer your prayers in the way that you think he should, then you're susceptible to doubt. And that's especially true when either you or a loved one goes through a, a time of suffering. Your confusion and your shock can send you headlong into a sea of doubts. 
And you know, I, I read something yesterday that was pretty unique. It said, for the first time in U.S. history, every state is under a disaster declaration simultaneously. Now, let, let that sink in for a moment. That's why our heads are spinning. Verse 25 of our text says this, So the other disciples told Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, the fact that he said it that way says to me that Thomas was was shocked about the, the grisly details of Jesus' suffering and death. He's, he's fixating on Jesus' wounds, and it shows to me how deeply he had been affected by it all. He couldn't get those awful images of Jesus being whipped and Jesus being crucified out of his mind. He was probably thinking, I knew this was happen. I knew this was going to happen. And yet at the same time, he was no doubt disappointed and shocked when it did happen. So Thomas is skeptical about the testimony of the disciples, his friends, just like some of you have been when someone close to you tries to tell you that Jesus changed their life. Some of you are skeptical about that. Basically, Thomas said this, Hey, thanks for your testimony. I can see you're real excited about what you think you have seen, but until I see it for myself, until I put my hands in his, in his nail scars, I, I won't believe. I need empirical evidence. I need proof. Unless I see him and touch him, I will not believe. Well, Thomas was about to get his chance, and that leads us to our second lesson this morning, which is the presence of Jesus leads to faith. The presence of Jesus leads to faith. This is verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, this verse, this verse has caused a lot of people to question about Jesus and how he passed through a locked door. You, you, did you hear what I said? That the doors were locked. The doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them. To me, the natural reading of the text implies that Jesus passes through matter in some supernatural way, just like he walked on water on the Sea of Galilee earlier in his ministry. But, you know, not everyone believes that. If you're a pastor or a preacher of my generation, then you probably have a commentary on your shelf by Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry is pretty right on most of the time, but this time he's very disappointing to me. He believes that Jesus just opened the door. Here's the quote. Though the doors were shut, he knew how to open them without any noise and come in so that they might not hear him. To that, I say with ESPN, come on, man. This is Jesus we're talking about. In a glorified body, he can do whatever he wants to do. He can pass through matter. However, he came in and surprised these disciples. Once inside the room, though, the disciples, and this time including Thomas, Jesus says to them, Peace be unto you, or peace be with you, or peace to you. It was the standard greeting of one Jew to another. Even to this day, one Jew will say to his friend, Shalom, Alakim, 
Or his, and his friend will then say back, Alakim, Shalom, which is peace be unto you, unto you be peace. And it's interesting to note that, that Jesus extended this greeting not once, but twice. First in verse 19, and now here in our text in verse 26. This repetition is not coincidental. God wants us to take a closer look at this. Before his execution, when Jesus pronounced his last will and testament, he said to the disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I give to you not as the world gives, so do not be afraid, and do not let your hearts be troubled. So before his death, Jesus promised the full reality of his peace for those who belong to him. And now, having been raised from the dead, his message was, I did what I promised. I did what I promised. I have won that peace for you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop your doubting and believe. John doesn't say whether Thomas actually accepted Jesus' offer or not. He, we don't really know if Thomas touched the wounds. But we do know that Thomas believed because we see it in verse 28. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And verse 29 is really not a rebuke of Thomas, but really a blessing for us when he says this. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so on this Easter Sunday morning, the fact that Jesus had been raised from the dead is confirmation that you and I, by believing, by placing our trust in the risen Christ, we will also be raised from our death. Now, you might think that it's a scientific advance that, that makes it difficult for people to believe in the resurrection in a day in which we live today. Actually, the truth is, it's been a problem for centuries. John Calvin is the father of Presbyterians and a leading figure in the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. He said this, It is difficult to believe that bodies, when consumed with rottenness, will at length be raised up in their season. Calvin also recognized that without God's help, faith in Christ and faith in our resurrection could not happen without the power of God. Calvin wrote, No one is truly persuaded of the coming resurrection unless he is seized with wonder and ascribes to the power of God its due glory. On this Easter Sunday morning, are you seized with wonder? I sure am. I'm seized with wonder that my God has everything in His control. And you need to hold on to that truth today, that our Lord Jesus has everything in His control. Some 60 years after the resurrection, the Apostle John wrote a letter. It's in the back of our New Testament. We have the Gospel of John. Then we have several letters in the back that were written by John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was assuring the second generation of Christians that he was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. He said this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There are two words for seeing. One means to look at with careful examination. The other means to look at with wonder. John saw the risen one, and that sight still burned in his eyes as if he had seen the sun and could still see it with his eyes closed. You know what I'm talking about. So I say to you again as we conclude, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on that cross for me. I thank you for dying on that cross for my friends. I thank you for dying on that cross for my family. I thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you went to the cross. Even though you were sinless, you took our sin upon yourself on that cross and you suffered and you bled and you died. And on the third day, you rose from the dead. And so we praise you today, Lord Jesus, for the joy that we have because of the truth that we have in your word. Your word says, let God be true and every man a liar. And so we trust you, Lord. We thank you that you are risen from the dead and that you, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, are in control of all things. And so today I pray for those who have doubts. I pray for even those who are skeptics today and doubt whether this actually happened. Lord Jesus, would you confirm in their hearts the truth of your word by calling them to salvation? And for anyone who is already a believer, but their doubts have been shaken by, they've been raised by this pandemic and their faith has been shaken, I pray that you will lift them up on your throne and turn them to the rock that will not fall. Lord God, we pray for comfort for those who have lost loved ones during this pandemic. We pray for your comforting presence through the Holy Spirit to be with them and to give them the peace that you promised. And Lord, we pray your protection on all of those we love, that you would watch over those in the midst of this pandemic and keep us safe and healthy. And Lord God, most of all, keep our eyes upon you that we might rejoice that you, Lord, our Savior and Lord, are the King of kings and Lord of all lords. We praise you because you live. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.